As you heard today, we lifted up a lot of different prayers, and the joy of seeing Beckett baptized earlier today was an amazing thing, surrounded by his family. Um, but as you also heard, and, and I know there's many others of you that have been through so much, and some of that is real trial, tribulation, and, and you can identify with Naomi in this story. And I pray that you spend time in all of chapter 1, and, and I do have to say today I'm kind of setting the stage for what is to come. And uh, maybe you've read ahead and you know where this goes, but today we spend time in chapter 1, and there's a l- quite a few more questions than answers, but there's definitely some amazing things that I want to make sure we don't miss. Um, but I will say we heard our, our re- uh, reading today from, from what I would call a crossroads, and it was actually a, a pretty complicated crossroads. Um, in fact, we certainly in our lives can come to these crossroads and we can see two paths ahead of us and we have to ask the question, you know, which way do I go? And so not only are they physically on the road home to Naomi's home in Bethlehem of Judah, but they also are at this crossroads of what are we going to do now? And then they're in a very heavy and difficult time, something I know we all sometime come to terms with. But as we read in chapter 1, right away in verse 1, this was in the days when the judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. And from what we know, the writing of this book and the time of this book, it's right around 1000 BC, could be on either direction, but it's during the reign of King David. And it's important to know what the time of the judges was like because it really helps set the stage for what we learn in this amazing book of Ruth. And you see, in the time uh, period, the Israelites, having been delivered by their God, the one true God from Egypt, they found themselves living their life. And after a while, you might remember, they recall they wanted a king. And God said, no, trust me, you don't know what you're asking for. And they said, no, we want a king. And So as I mentioned, this is a time of King David, but they had different kings and rulers and a lot of different things going on in their lives, just like in our lives. There's so many crazy things, and the world can get kind of crazy sometimes. Well, the same is true in the time of the judges, because um, as we read, God had to send judges to the people. And and I want to share from the book of Judges 2.16 a little bit more about that. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. You see, I mentioned earlier that God is good and God redeems His people, and that's exactly what He did through the judges. He sent these people to help and care and redeem and and even save His people. So He's been working redemption and saving and sending a Savior for a very long time. And even though we know He sent an ultimate Savior, I don't want to lose the fact that God is at work all the time saving His people. And you might ask yourself, well, why did he need to send the judges? Why is this plundering or this affliction of the people happening? And it's unfortunate, but as we read in Judges 2, it's because of their unfaithfulness, right? They got caught up in the same world you and I can get tempted and caught up in. And it even says, the people abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who delivered them from Egypt. So these people were separating themselves. They were feeling the distance from their father God. But God is so loving that he said, I am going to close that gap. I'm going to send whatever I need to send to have the people return to me and cry out for me, and I will deliver them through these judges. 
So it's a time of judges, but it's also a time of famine. And we've talked about famine a little bit. I even did in a certain, my last sermon, but uh, famine is, is, is a big deal. This isn't just a bad year of crop. This is years of no food. This is over seven years, as we probably know from other books in the Bible, and it's happening all over Ju- Judah. And in this one, we know the family comes from Bethlehem, and it's kind of ironic that the word Bethlehem is the house of bread. And as we know, through many years of famine, the cupboards are empty. So that can be hard for us to understand, removed from this, but Elimelech, as we're introduced to Naomi's husband, his name meaning, my God is king. This is a family of faith. These are Jews that believe in God and follow him. We see them in a dire situation. And after years and years of no crops, they, they have to figure out what to do. And so as we see them leaving all of their inheritance behind, they're doing something desperate, trying to preserve his family. And so that's what Elimelech and the sons were doing. And I don't want you to immediately write off Elimelech. I know some people have thought, hey, he should have just trusted God and stayed in, in Bethlehem and it would have all worked out. And, and that may be true. We don't actually know. But, but the reality is we have to know how bad this really was. And we also have to know that many faithful men before him have done similar things. We know that Abraham and Isaac dealt with famines and they had to figure out where they were going to go to find food. We know that the famine... Luckily, God worked through Joseph to store up wheat, but it allowed him to reconnect with his father, Jacob. And we also know a man like David sent his parents to the same place that they're going, Moab, outside of the promised land, to protect them, as we read in 1 Samuel. So we don't know for sure, but I don't want you to think that this is an act of unfaithfulness. No, that's not really what's going on. This is just a man trying to preserve his family, but here's the hard part. He's, he's doing everything he can, but yet not only does his family not stay preserved, it falls apart. So as if famine and exile is not bad enough, we now shift from Elimelech to the perspective of Naomi. And we see a woman who, I don't know how else to say it, has lost everything. She lost her husband, the one who's called to care and protect for her, protect her. And she's lost not one, but two of her sons, her, all of her sons that are those boys that are called to, if her husband can't be available, care for her. And so she's left with nothing. And so this is as pretty heavy as it might get. Not only is she grieving her loss, no longer being a wife or mother. She's grieving the fact that she's lost her inheritance, her legacy, and frankly, she's too old to restart, as she says herself, I have no future, I have nothing. But you and I know a little bit differently, and I I feel bad for any of you daughter-in-laws out there if you feel like she's calling daughter-in-laws nothing. It does seem at times like she's looking right over the top of their heads, and I can understand why being in the weight of all this, but I have to tell you, culturally... It gets more complicated than that because her daughter-in-laws are Moabites. So she knows with nothing what she has to do is she has to return home to Bethlehem and, and try and hopefully come up with the breadcrumbs of someone's table that can care for her, not being able to find a husband or bear sons herself. 
but she has to take two Moabite women with them, with her. And Moabites in Israel are not going to be welcomed. They're not going to be ones that are able to be married to as well. So unfortunately, as much as she loves them, she feels the burden of her daughter-in-laws. But you realize, I have to, it is clear, it's a burden of love. In verses 8 and 9, she's quite clear. She wants to, I'm sure, release that burden from herself in some way, but really she wants them to not take on the burden that she has. And so she says to them, return and go. Don't let the burdens of my shoulders land on your own. Please go. I want blessing for you. And even though she cries that amazing blessing to them, we have to read to the end of the chapter and see the the weight of her burden is quite heavy when she says to those that are welcoming her back to Bethlehem, she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And even more so, she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant and nothing about my life is pleasant. Call me Mara because my life is nothing but bitterness. Everything she's doing in her weight is understandable and very human and she's honest, fully honest. But I want to talk about it first through our lives. I know there are people in here that have been very heavily burdened. You too may have even had times of suffering. If you haven't, I pray that you never do, but the reality is in this broken world, very heavy times will come. And I just started thinking about what I would do if I was in her, her sandals and I was trying to figure out how to put my life back together and trying to figure out what God was up to. And it, remained, it made me think of Job, which comes a little bit later in God's word. And, and I remember Job went th- through something just as heavy, complete suffering, losing what seems like all. And I remember the counsel that Job receives kind of puts it into two categories that I think, I know I often go to, and I think we all often go to, is if something really bad happens and you're suffering, you you look up and you think one of two things. You think, one, God is good, and I am bad, so I'm being punished. I haven't been obedient enough. Job had clearly crossed God and was now receiving his punishment. That's what we also think sometimes. You know, what have I done? This is because I haven't gone to church. I haven't read God's word enough. I haven't prayed to him enough. I haven't even thought about him. So clearly he's just punishing me and I'm sure I deserve that. Or we think, no, I haven't done anything that bad. I'm doing the best I can and I'm just going to church when I can, I'm going to God's Word. I can't think of anything that would deserve this type of suffering, really. And you think, I'm pretty good. Is God really not all that good? I can think of it. I can think of why do bad things happen to people like me? I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can. Or even sometimes people have asked me the question, why do bad things happen to good people at all? The reality is, first of all, in a broken world, just as many bad things happen to bad people as do good things. We all have those times of brokenness and suffering, and it doesn't make it easier, but I want to point you to a third, third option. 
And the third option is God is good all the time, but in ways that we cannot understand. Ways that when the pain and the hurt are so heavy, we can't see it. And sometimes it takes years for us to know what he's up to, but he is good, and you haven't done anything he can't redeem. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about what's going on in the text here that, that I don't want to miss. I see it's bad. I see it's, it's really heavy, but I also see something else that Naomi realizes and hasn't let go of. She knows God's providence. She knows God is in control. She knows that he's the powerful protector and the one caring for her, even if she's wrestling with her and she believes any affliction that's come to her is by his hand, or at least he's let happen. But I have to tell you, she's still looking up to God, isn't she? I love an explanation from the Lutheran study, study book in the footnotes for chapter 1 through the first couple verses. It reads uh, and invites us in to that same thing that Naomi's thinking about. It says, Elimelech and his sons struggled during a famine. And move to Moab to preserve their family, as I mentioned earlier. You too may struggle against unexpected changes. Changes in the economy or changes in your family. But God gives you freedom in making family and business decisions. But he also gives you the blessing and guidance of his holy word. Whether you are prospering or you are struggling, look to the word. In the word lies wisdom for this life and for the promise of eternal life through Jesus. You see, God has a plan and we don't always know what he's up to, but when we look in his word, we can see amazing stuff. The book of Ruth is here in front of you for a reason right now. And what it shows us is that God's will is a beautiful beautiful will and human action goes hand in hand with that will. He works through us in ways we could not work by ourselves. He invites us in even in the challenging times to have amazing things happen, things we could never expect. In fact, I found this to be true when it hit me right in the chest. As I was reading through chapter 1, and, and I've certainly read the other chapters, but when I was just trying to focus on one and say, God, what are you trying to show me right here and right now? I had this question, because I had a powerful feeling, and I, I asked this question, I'm going to ask it to you. Who in this story, in chapter 1, do you want to be? And it just hit me. It almost took the wind out of me. I couldn't believe it, because I felt passionately about this. And so I wanted to see if I was crazy or not, so I asked my wife. I said, sweetheart, you read chapter one. Who in this do you want to be? And she's a good Lutheran student, so she ruined everything. And she said, well, I want to be Elimelech because by faith he's saved. And, you know, I want to be that guy. I want to be with Jesus. She knows the rest of the story. That's true. We, we hope by their faith they, too, have gone before us as we celebrate Saints Day. But I said, all right, work with me here. Who in this story do you want to be? from chapter 1 that is still with us, still in the story. And she said, Ruth. I said, I know, me too. I remember thinking, wow, Ruth, those beautiful words that you heard earlier, that oath that she shared with Naomi, that powerful message she gave. And then I was like, wait, who do I want to be? 
I want to be one of the suffering widows. I want to be like Ruth, who from Naomi had this incredible faith that they shared together. I wanted to be the person that lost everything. I wanted to be the person that was about to go to a foreign place that wasn't going to accept her, and she had just bound herself to the burden of having nothing with no prospects of a positive future. I wanted to be her. I thought so admirably of Ruth, how powerful her words were. And I want her to be her. Why? Because of her words of faith. And I just couldn't believe that feeling that I had. And it made me think of this. I thought of this quote. I said, I'm pretty sure what this means is the best day outside of the kingdom of God doesn't even compare to the worst day with him. And I know that's such a hard thing to wrap our brains around because a bad day on earth is hard to see on the other side of. But the truth is, the best day outside of God's, God's love doesn't compare to the worst day with Him. That's why. I don't want to pray or seek a life free of burden, but I want a life full of the faith that we read about in God's Word, specifically today, Ruth and Naomi. That faith in a God who presents us with opportunities to solve difficult problems and find peace on the other side of big, big storms. Peace that could not come and will not come from anywhere else. And it comes in different forms. It comes in the form of Naomi's faith. Again, I do not want you to lighten up on this. Naomi is suffering and she's making it very clear how bitter she is. She is in the heaviest state, having the worst day of her life. But she believes, and she speaks to the God who she knows is still there. And in the midst of this, on the road, she blesses others. To the God that she's wrestling with, and probably even angry with, she's saying, bless these two girls, my daughters. Even if you can't bless me, even if you're punishing me, or whatever it is you're doing to me, bless them. And what we can see in Naomi and what we're going to come to know is even when she can't see it, she knows God has a plan. And right now she really can't see it. But that faith of Naomi worked faith in Ruth. Ruth saw her struggling mother-in-law that still held tight to her Lord. And I'm sure this is faith she learned from being in the family Having left behind Moab and her family and their gods, she now pledged herself dearly to the one true God that Naomi revealed to her. And as Orpah, who really was, I mean, you could easily want to be Orpah, right? She's going to go back home. She's young enough. She can start again. She can probably find another husband and at least socially and economically act like it never happened. And we pray that she learned of God and has that faith, but we don't know. That's not who we want to be, though. We want to be like Ruth. Because when Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left, what did Naomi, or excuse me, what did Ruth do? She clung to Naomi. You see, Ruth is having faith that was inspired by the family, inspired by Naomi, in the same way that we have faith that's inspired. And she doesn't strive for what she wants or what would be easy, but by what she knows is right. 
And even in her mourning, she seeks to hear God's voice and she even talks to him and makes that amazing commitment to Naomi. But the thing is, it's about God. All of this faithfulness that we can learn from these two women comes from God. He's the one that has them in his hands and even through these difficult times is, is walking with them and has a plan for them. And even though they can't see it, it's, he knows what's coming. You see, because God is faithful. And as I said earlier, he's not just a redeemer back then. He continues to be a redeemer and he sanctifies them. He gives faith to Ruth and Naomi in the same way he gives that faith to us through his word and through his sacraments. You see, when we have faith, it's because God was faithful first. It's a faith that is active and growing, and he works it into our hearts in good times and in bad. He takes no days off. And as I was preparing for this message, I had to ask, I know about that faith, but what can the people that hear about Naomi and hear about Ruth, what can they cling to? What can they trust in? And I actually found something interesting. Again, this is way back in about 1000 BC, and now you and I today are wrestling with this, how this works in our life, but there's a place in between that I thought of in the New Testament. came right to this page, and it really puts into perspective what we're talking about. This is how God works. He works and redeems through good times and bad. And I came to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. You see, he's greeting this group in his letter, and he's praising them and giving thanks for them for their faithfulness, but he also talks about how they came to this faith. And it's very enlightening. This is something we can cling to. He writes, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Because our good news, our gospel, came to you. In the hearing of that, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and imitators of the Lord. And that was possible because you received the word in much affliction. But you received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So here's another example of the faithful, though they are afflicted through God's word and his promise and the Holy Spirit that he gives, they can find joy in the middle of a storm. And that's just one example. Because you see, God's promises from the very beginning, his redeeming and his making new have been coming true and they continue to come true and they will continue to come true. All those promise that, promises that he kept and is keeping until he returns and makes a new heaven and a new earth. And those promises kept are not just it. You're also going to find unexpected grace like we see or will see in, for Ruth and Naomi. Grace that comes in the middle of turmoil in ways we can't see it, from people we would never expect it. He brings mercy. And through it all, even when we don't see it, He's there. He offers His protection. He offers His care. And He checks after His beloved, His chosen he does that yesterday, today, 
and he will do it until he comes again to set us all free in the new heaven and new earth. So if you leave here today, even with a heavy heart, I want you to cling to his promises. I want you to cling to his word. Never forget that you are his child. And no matter what will come, any day with him is better than the best day apart from him.